Recently, I was at a father-son learning program with Simcha. So we learn for 45 minutes or so, and then they tell the kids a story. A story, something from the Jewish tradition, hopefully, something inspiring. So they told, they told a story of two men, two close friends, Beryl and Shmeryl, who were very close friends until one of them moved away and they lost touch. And then the friend hadn't been in touch. One, the, the friend who had stayed, remained hadn't been in touch with his friend for a while. So he traveled to visit him. While he was traveling to visit him, while he was there, his friend was imprisoned and was going to be punished for some crime against the government. So he asked the government, the king, for some time to put his affairs in order before his punishment. The king said, only if you can pr provide, supply a hostage in your stead, then I'll let you go. If you can post bail in the form of another prisoner who will agree to, who will agree to suffer your punishment if you don't return at the appointed time. So, sure enough, Beryl or Shmeryl said he would do it. He, he would, he would, he, Beryl would provide himself as a hostage and uh, and as the time came Shmeryl did not return at the appointed time and they were getting prepared to punish Beryl and, and then whichever one it was and the other one came running back he had gotten delayed and then they began to argue the, the first one said I'm back punish me and let my friend go I came back after all the friend said no no he, he was late he missed the deadline punish me and let my friend go and the two friends began uh, an impassioned argument. Each one said that the, each one said that he should get the punishment and his friend should be spared. And the king was, apparently was so impressed by this that the king uh, acquitted both of them. And he asked, according to at least some versions of the story, he asked if he could be a, a third in their in their friendship. So when I heard this story, I, I, I said to myself, I said to some other people as well, I said, there are lots of stories people say are not true. But this story, not only is it not actually a true story of Beryl and Shmeryl, this is actually an old Greco-Roman story. So what I want to discuss tonight are a couple of chuvas and other sources dealing with the story. We'll discuss a little bit about the, the providence of the story, and we'll discuss what some of the postkim have said about this story. The story itself is an ancient Greek tale. The story of, I don't know how to pronounce these names exactly, but Damon and Pythias, Pythias, they're, uh, they, it, it, they illustrate, according to Wikipedia, the Pythagorean ideal of friendship. Uh, Pythias is accused of charge of plotting against the tyrant Dionysus I of Syracuse. He asks, but before he's going to be executed, he asks Dionysus to, uh, Dionysius to be allowed to go settle his affairs. He has to provide a friend in his stead. He provides Damon. Um, and when Pythias returns, Dionysius is so impressed by the love and trust in their friendship that he frees them both. According to some versions, as I said, according to some versions, he said, I want to be uh, the third member of your friendship. But they said, no, you're, you're not, you're, we're not close enough to you. But uh, anyway, this is, an ancient, uh, this is an ancient Greek or Roman tale going back thousands of years. It appears in some Jewish sources as, forthrightly enough, in some of them, as a Roman story. In the Sefer Tzemach Tzedek, a small work on Musser and, uh, Musser and Good Conduct by Rabbi Huda Ari of Modena, Leon Modena, the great and colorful Italian Rav in Italy several hundred years ago, 
he writes, Matsasi Besifrei Haromim, I have found, he says, in the, in the books of the Romans, in Roman literature, uh, the king of Sicily once decreed death on Pitia, Pei Yud Tes Yud Aleph Hei, and he decreed he would have his, 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 his he would be decapitated, and he asked uh, the grace from the king, eight days, to go put his affairs in order. The king laughed at him and said, yeah, I'll do that. If you can find someone else, we'll take your place, as if no one's crazy enough to do that. But sure enough, Pitya called his friend Hanikra Damoni, his friend, his, his close and his close friend, that they loved each other. And Damon said, sure, I'll do it. I'll, 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 I'll put my neck on the block if he doesn't return at the end of the eight days. So they put Damon in, uh, in prison until, until Pythias would return. And when it came time, the, the appointed time, Pythias had, uh, had not returned. Everyone was mocking and laughing at Damon for having been such a sucker to, to, to stick out his neck. And now he's going to be killed for this. He was not scared. He said, I trust, uh, I trust my friend. He said, I'll come back. I trust him. I, I, I have faith in him. Sure enough, he came. According to some versions, he was held up by pirates or some other adventures, but the, sure enough, Pythias came back, and when the king saw the Ava Tzuma V'Nemana Kazos, Machala Pythia, he acquitted him, he let him go, and he wouldn't kill him, he didn't want to separate this, this, this great bond of friendship, he was such a sacred and wonderful thing, he couldn't bring himself to, 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 to tear these friends apart by killing one of them, so he let them go. And this story, as I said, appears in various uh, colorful corners of Aramisara. Some of them, like Leon Modina, Rabbi Leon Modina, acknowledge it as a Roman story. Some of them seem to just bring it without comment, as if it's a Jewish story. But it's an ancient story, again, that, that it, in many different versions, that first appears in, the, in Roman literature. And then ver- versions of the story appear in two chuvas of the postkin, two halachic works of the postkin. The first one is the, the Sefer, Tshuvas Halachas Ketanas. We've, we've encountered them before. These are short, uh, often pungent, interesting, very, that's why they're called Halachas Ketanas. They're short, little, bite-sized Tshuvas. He discusses a story like this, and he has some brief comments on this from a Halachic perspective. And then we have a longer Tshuva of the Tshuvas Chavalim B'neimim, Rabbi Yudalev Grabart. A, a, a major postsake in Toronto, originally in Europe, in Lithuania, then in Toronto, about a century ago, in the 1920s. The, the author of the Chabal and he, he discusses this story directly, the story, the, the ancient Roman story of Damon and Pythias. Halachas Ketanas' tshuva is short. It's short, but it is somewhat, uh, it is somewhat uh, opaque. It is somewhat difficult to understand what exactly he's saying. He writes as follows. He says, She'ela, Shnayim Sha'ovim Zeh two people love each other, Kashek Hamavis Ava, their love is as intense as death itself. The Nigzra Misal Echonmehem, one of them was decreed that he should die, Ubachavero Venimsarbim Makomo, and his friend offered himself up in his place. As people point out, this is a little different from the ancient Greco Roman story, and in the ancient Roman story, the, the friend, Damon, didn't offer, him, didn't offer his life for good. He just meant as a hostage that, that his friend would return. He said, I have faith, he will return. He wasn't actually planning on getting killed, apparently. He assumed his friend would come back. In the Halakhs version of the story, he doesn't say where he heard the story, but in the Halakhs version of the story, he says that the, his, his friend just gave himself over to be killed in the place of his friend. 
as as uh, Sidney Carton does in the climax of A Tale of Two Cities. It is a far, far better thing I do, and so on. So that's what he did. He offered him. He offered his own life to the king in place of his friend, Azamehem Adif. A curious way to phrase the question: Which of them is better, preferable? It's not clear if he meant was he doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Which of them is worthy of more honor? But even the question is not very clear what he was asking. Rav Chagiz was not very impressed by this question. He writes, Tshuva, lo I really shouldn't be answering such a silly question. He doesn't explain why he thought the question is so silly. Not exactly clear what the question is. It's not so clear why he thought the question was silly. But he says, your question really doesn't deserve an answer. However, he says, I'll answer you anyway. Avol the Gemara says, there's a Gemara in Nida. The Gemara says that there were the, the Gemara says that there were twelve questions that were posed. There were twelve questions that were posed by by who? Let me check the Gemara again. The, the, this is Nida Samachtasim with Beis. It says that Tanurabanan Shnei Maser Dvarim Shalu Anchi Alexandrias Rabbi Yeshua Ben Chinana. There were twelve questions that were put that the men of Alexandria asked Rabbi Yeshua Ben Chinana. Of these, of these 12 questions, it divides them into four categories. Gimel divrei chachma. Three of these questions were matters of, uh, of genuine chachma, were, were questions of wisdom, of, uh, that had to do with Torah, the halachs of Tumah and Tara. Gimel divrei Hagada, Three had to do with Haggadah, with, uh, with Agadita. Gimel divrei Boros. Three of them, had to do, three of them were, were silly, were nonsensical. And three of them were derecheres. But at least three of them were boros. Three of them were foolish questions, were silly questions. And yet, Rabbi ben Chinana answered all twelve. He answered every boros as well. Says the halachs kitanos, you see that even sometimes when you get asked silly questions, the correct course of action is to answer them. Anyway, so I'm going to answer you even though your question is silly. Lo ashiv I will not send you back empty-handed. I'll give you something. Al zen nemar, there's a pasuk that says that answer a fool in accordance with his foolishness. The Gemara asks, uh, the Gemara asks Estira, that one pasuk says, that you should answer him. Another pasuk says, that you shouldn't answer a fool. But at least, but the Gemara has distinctions. But at least one pasuk says, you should answer a, you should answer a fool. When, when, when a fool makes a statement, a challenge, a question, you should answer him. You shouldn't, you, you shouldn't just ignore him. This is a Pasuk in Mishlei. It says, Aneich sil ki valto. Answer a fool according to his stupidity. Don't let him think he got the better of you. Don't let him think I, he outsmarted you. He's such a chacham. He needs to be put in his place. So even though the question is dumb, you should answer him anyway. Today, today the, we, we have a mantra, there are no foolish questions. But Chazal and Shlomo HaMelech seem to feel that sometimes there are Ksilim who ask foolish questions. But nevertheless, according to this Pasuk, we answer, we answer him anyway because we don't want him to, uh, we don't want him to, to decide that, he, that, 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 he's, that, he's, uh, that he outwitted you. He brings a couple of other Gemaras that they, the Chachamim answered questions, even if one might have thought the questions were frivolous or nonsensical or not deserving of answers, Chachamim answered anyway. Rabbi Yehuda, Kiyav Badicha Daite, when he was in a, uh, when he was in a uh, good frame of mind, if they asked him questions about he would answer even the most uh, bizarre questions apparently 
the Hill Hazakein, the famous Gemara about Hill Hazakein, Hill the Elder. He was a legendary for his patience and for his uh, tolerance. Erev Shabbos from Chashecha. The, the Gemara in Shabbos has a famous story. It says that a man made, that somebody was, they, they were talking about how Hillel's legendary humility and tolerance, and somebody bet his friend 400 dinar that he could, that he could provoke Hillel into anger. So they, they, made, they made this bet, and then the friend tried to provoke Hillel. So Hillel was getting ready for Shabbos. He was taking a bath. The fellow knocked on the door. He interrupted him. Hillel got out of the bath and said, My son, you know, tell me, how can I help you? And he proceeded to ask him these, these, these uh, silly questions. Why do Africans have eyes like this and feet like that? And why do people who live here have broad feet and they have slant and they have narrow eyes and they have, uh, and they have this? He, he did it once. Hillel came out of the bath. He answered him. He, he went away. Hillel went back to his bath. He knocked on the door again. He dragged Hill out of the bath again. He asked him a second question. These weren't, you know, critical questions like, my wife is in labor, you know, what should I do? Or, uh, you know, they, these were not questions about you know, matters of life and death or important halakhic questions. These were what we would call trivia or uh, certainly didn't have to be posed to Hill on Erev Shabbos while he was getting ready for Shabbos. So after three times he failed to anger Hillel, the Gemara says, he told Hillel, I give up? And he told him, I, I hope there are not many like you in Klal Yisrael. So Hillel said, like, what did I do wrong? Why are you so upset at me? He told him the story that because of you, I'm losing a bet for 400 dinar. Hill, Hill was not sympathetic. Hill said there should, uh, it's, it's, worth, it's worth it that you should lose 400 dinar than that Hill should get angry. Anyway, you see that the Chachamim had, had extraordinary tolerance for silly questions, even at uh, awkward times. So anyway, so he says, uh, so what is the answer he's going to give? How is he actually going to answer this question? He says, he says, He insults him, he puts him down, he says, You mentioned in the question, you said, when, when you say that something, when you make a simile, you say something is like something else. The, the thing you use as the, as the, the thing you compare it to is the, is the thing that's striking in its uh, intensity or whatever it is. He gave him some kind of very cryptic answer. And he said, Now get lost. Leave me alone and stop, stop asking me these questions. So, very, very unclear what exactly the question was. Which is better? What was the answer? Which one is, uh, which one is compared to the other? That the Nimsar is Oivis Gufo, Yosim Mechaveru, Shanicho Bitsar. Very, very unclear what the question was, what the answer was. But the, the, at least we can say that the Halachas Kitanas deals unwillingly, some, somewhat unwillingly, but deals with some version of this story of Damon and Pythias. He, he was annoyed at being asked the question. He gives, so, he, not clear what the question was. He gives some kind of fairly, fairly cryptic answer, and then he tells him to get lost. The Chavalim Benayimim. His tshuva, we're going to spend more time on. His tshuva is a little more uh, straightforward, a little easier to understand. The Chaval ben Imim, Rav Graubart, was writing to a, another Rav. He said, Asher Torasso. This is a tshuva from about a century ago. Asher Torasso. His rabbinic correspondent was perplexed, was surprised. How come in our history, in our tradition, in our literature, we don't have Eze Dugma Laavas Reim Chazaka? We don't have any archetype of such powerful friendship. Ke'uvda shel Pythias Hayavani, the Greek man Pythias. Shecherif nafsholamus, he gave up his life, he risked his life. Adriyehu Damon, 
the story is brought, he says, in the Sefer Tzemach Tzedek of Rabbi Yudha Ari Di Modina. How come we don't have a story like that? Uh, this Rav was jealous. How come the Greeks have such beautiful stories? How come we don't have a story like this of, of true friendship, of friendship to the point of death, like the Greeks have in their literature? Romans have in their literature. Why, why, uh, why is it? Why, why don't we get to have nice stories like this in our literature? Says the Chabal Benim, the first thing I want to cite to you is the tshuva of the Lachs Ketanas. Mashakasim Vasefer Lachs Ketanas, Lord Yaakov Chagiz. Haresh al she'elo zu gar bo ha-machabra b'nezifa ve'eshivo reikam. When he asked this question about how do we, uh, what's our perspective on a story like this, he, uh, he, um, he was quite uh, fierce with him, he was quite vehement with him. Ve'eshivo reikam. And he sent him packing empty-handed. He said, Tzemei Again, it's not, not so clear it was totally Reikam. He started the tshuva by saying, you don't deserve an answer. Then he turned around and says, I'm going to give you an answer anyway. And he said something. People point out he did say, he did say something about this, uh, about this case. But the Chavalim Benimim doesn't feel that he said anything substantial, anything concrete. He says, he was Garo Benazifa, and he did not like the question. Says the Chavalim Benimim, what is the Torah's attitude to this type of story? The Chenu Pashti says, he says, this is correct, that the story is nothing to, uh, to admire, nothing to, we should not venerate the conduct in the story. People who, uh, we do not pride ourselves on conduct like this, this is not something that we admire, that we, uh, this is not something that we uh, strive to emulate. Why? It is prohibited to kill oneself. Suicide is usher. Even for, even for a good, even well-meaning suicide, even to save somebody else. The, the basic prohibition of suicide, he says, In Parshish Noach, Hashem says, I will, there'll be an accounting for blood. If you kill yourself, I will hold you accountable. There's life after death, Hashem, there are, there are going to be consequences. If a person kills himself, Hashem will hold him accountable for this. That is usr. Gemara Bav Metziah, famous Gemara Bav Metziah, Shnayim Shayim Halchem Baderech, two people are traveling on the road, they don't have enough water, one of them has one jar of water, Im Shosim Shnayim Mesim, if they, if they both drink it, then they, if, 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 they, if they split it to each, so there's not enough water for either, for, for any one of them to make it back, it's not enough water for both of them to make it back to, uh, to, to make it back to civilization. If they split the water, they're both going to die. If one drinks, keeps it all for himself, he'll have enough to get to uh, a water supply, but his friend will die even sooner. His friend will have no water, and his friend will die right away. What should you do? Ben Petura says they should split it. Neither one should drink and watch his friend die, so they should split it and both die. Taught, no, that's not correct. He from the famous drasha that your brother shall live with you, but your life takes precedence. That you know, that your life is is higher and has a higher precedence to you than the life of your friend. So that that just like you can't you can't kill yourself for no reason. You can't even kill yourself. He understands this gemara to be telling us. For the sake of your friend, again, not really such a riot from the Gemara. In the case of the Gemara, you're going to give up your life. You're not going to save your friend's life either. You're going to split the water. Or you're both going to die. That's uh, surely not not a great solution. Rabbi Kiva would say, but the Chavalim Benayimim says you can't even give up your life to save someone else's life. Even that you can't do. 
a person is not allowed to place himself even in suffix sakana. You're not even allowed to risk your life to save somebody else from, from certain danger, from certain peril. That's actually a big machlokas. That's a, it's a famous tshuva of the Radvaz. The Radvaz talked about uh, somebody risking his life to save somebody else from certain death. The Radvaz says that would be an example of chassid shota, someone who is striving to be pious, but because of his skewed, his, his, his miss, his uh, incorrect calculation, he's, 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 doing the, he's doing more harm than good. He's doing the wrong thing in his attempt to be pious. It's actually the machlokas we showed him. So some we showed him, some poskim said that it actually is a good thing. You should do that. You have to do that even. But most poskim say... Most posts can say that the, the, the Radvaz, I think, is the more accepted opinion that you're a chassid shote. You're not even supposed to risk your life to save somebody else from certain death. This was something that came up a lot in the discussions half, half a century ago, three quarters of a century ago, about organ donation, kidney donation. Certainly in, in the early days where, the, where there was some risk involved, considerable risk involved, many poskim looked at the question from the perspective of should a person put himself in suffix akana? Should the donor, should the donor subject himself to a suffix akana for the sake of saving somebody else who needs an organ from a vaday vaday danger, vaday death? And Postkum said the ikr la is no. The ikr la is we don't put our certainly not mechayiv too, and it's the, the pasha to this usher to put yourself in suffix akana to save yourself, save somebody else from vaday akana. As the technology improved and the risk became uh, much lower. That, then Postcom generally said that it is mutter, if not necessarily a chiv. We discussed this recently, whether it's a chiv to donate an organ or not. Many, most Postcom, I think, say not. But, the, but it's not, at least it's not oster because the danger is very low. But if the danger is significant, if it's a suffix danger for you as opposed to a... and, and you're weighing that against a vade danger to somebody else, even in that case, you're not supposed to risk your life. Certainly, you're not supposed to give up your life for a certainty to, to save somebody else who's in danger. What Sidney Carton does in the Tale of Two Cities is wrong. All Pialachi, not allowed to do that. Uvesefer to Pharisee Israel, he brings various other statements from Postkim to this effect, and he brings one of the things he brings is in the Sefer to Pharisee Israel. The he writes that Bishas Hadever in a time of plague, in a time of a contagious disease, Osir Levaker Cholim. Normally, Biker Cholim visiting the sick is a great mitzvah. But not when there's a contagious disease. Not if you're going to risk your own life by visiting the, the person. If the person needs to be in quarantine for his own good, then you don't visit him. Other posts can say this as well, that, that, that in general, we, uh, the mitzvah bigger column is suspended in, in a case of, of, of contagious diseases. The, actually, one of the posts can write, one of the Sephardic posts can write, that the regular bigger column, volunteer bigger column, is suspended during times of plague. There were special... There were special people who were, who were officially designated and compensated for it, whose job it would be to visit the sick. So the question is, why are they allowed to do it? If it's really dangerous, they shouldn't be doing it either. So that, 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 that's a general question the Post can discuss, whether a doctor or a nurse and medical professionals, in a case where there, there's some unavoidable risk. Today we have all kinds of protective gear in ideal circumstances. The, the, there's little or no risk to the physician, but you know, there's always some risk, and in earlier times the risk was often greater. Post can actually discuss what, what, what the hatter is for a doctor to risk his life to treat patients. So professionals are treated differently for various reasons. But the regular Biker Cholom, Tveris Israel says, a person should not risk his life to visit a Chola, even if he's uh, providing neat, necessary and crucial aid, apparently, to the Chola. Sefer Chasidim, Rabbi Yudah Chasid, he brings the classic case, if a person is drowning in the river and he's heavy, he says, you shouldn't jump in and try to save him, al Yazerlo. 
maybe he'll pull you down. Maybe that, that, unless you can be sure that you're not risking your life, you shouldn't jump in. You, sh- you shouldn't help him because you can't risk your life to save his life. Then he goes on and he says that he says that, that people say that suicide is such a is such a terrible, terrible thing to do that a person forfeits his own haba. There's no actual source in Chazal for this. Ravadi Yosef has a long tshuva. I recall studying one Tisha B'av where he, he, he brings all kinds of different achronim who quote this statement, but it's, it's one of these uh, mysterious, mysterious midrashim that don't actually exist. It's, it's, uh, people have all kinds of clever attempts to deduce it from various midrashim and statements of Chazal, but not clear where this comes from. Where this comes from, that a suicide is no chelik in Olam Haba. The Chavalim Ben Imim has a suggestion he tries to say that, 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 that perhaps it derives from the, the Gemara in Gittin. The Gemara in Gittin says that we, that we study at the, about the Korban. It says there were 400 children who were captured by the Romans and they were going to be, they were going to be uh, dedicated to immoral purposes. And they, the, the children en route, on a, en route by, by sea to their destination were deliberating whether to kill themselves they ask if we kill ourselves, if we throw ourselves into the sea, that they understood what their fate was, and they knew it was, uh, that, it, that it was best to avoid this. So they, so they, they, they wondered, if we kill ourselves, <coughs> will we be Zoha and Olam Haba? And they said, yes, that we will. So, so, the, so, so the question was, that yes, in this case it's Mutter because of the, because of the terrible uh, error. The implication is that, that otherwise it would actually that they they would actually wouldn't get al Haba if they killed themselves without a good justification. It was a real issue. He brings that in the Sefer Kabbalah and the Sefer Yuchsin, they bring that this story actually occurred later in Kleisel's history as well. There was Rabbi Moshe ben Chanoch, there was uh, and his wife who were in the year four thousand seven hundred and one. That's uh, that's a little more than a thousand years ago. Um, he says that they're the four Chachamim, I think the four Chachamim were traveling, and uh, the ship was captured by pirates, and they were, and they, and they, and they, they captured the, the passengers, and one of the enemy was going to rape the, the woman, and she asked her husband, uh, should she throw herself into the sea rather than, uh, rather than submit to this? And he said, he brought this Gemara, that Hashem, Hashem will save people who do that, and she threw herself into the sea, and she drowned and died. Okay, but it, so that, that's a whole separate discussion, whether suicide in times of crisis to avoid shmad, to avoid torture, to avoid various fates that are worse than death, is that mutter, they bring the story of Shaul HaMelech killing himself, there's the, the Balitosphus discussed this in the Crusades, we've discussed this in other contexts about that there were certain people who killed themselves and killed their children and killed their, their spouses and killed each other to avoid falling into the hands of the Christians who, because of a fear of shmad or a fear of other other concerns. So that, that that was a lively discussion in the Rishonim of Ashkenaz, whether a person is whether a person is allowed to kill himself to avoid various fates worse than death. But in general, barring that very specific, very narrow exception, there is no hetter to kill oneself. You're not allowed to. You may even forfeit your own habab, but certainly there is no. Certainly there is. Uh, certainly, cer- certainly, certainly there's there's no hetter to just kill yourself just because you want to. He says. He brings uh, he brings various other discussions. He brings a discussion of the postkin whether a person can kill himself as a form of tshuva if he did a 
an Avera that he's Chayim, he says, based in for, can he kill himself as a kind of self-inflicted Mises based in? Brings a discussion about that. He brings the story of Shaul HaMelech. The, brings the story of Shaul HaMelech. He says it was so they shouldn't uh, abuse him and torture him and, uh, and use him for propaganda, perhaps. There are, there are some who say Shaul was actually wrong. He brings it to Pharisee Israel who says Shaul may have acted incorrectly. There are actually some Rishonim who entertain this possibility. But that's, that's also, that, that's a whole literature in the, in the Rishonim about the Crusades, whether suicide is ever justified and in cases of extreme, uh, extreme danger or a terrible fate. And then he goes on, and he says, Even though it's, it's, it's part of our rich tradition, an unfortunate part of our rich tradition, we're proud of it, but it's terrible at the same time, that Jews have often been martyrs, Jews have often given up their lives for the sake of Akash Baruch Hu and Torah and Kal Yisrael, the only justification, one of the only justifications, is if the enemy is trying to force someone to abrogate the Torah. Livgod Bamunaso, to betray his faith. Oz, Yishbok Kamayim, then a person has to give up his, his life. May Avafadas, out of love of the, of the Torah, of, of religion, a person has to give up his life for, for that. Avaloyiznachas Nafsho, but a slave. You can't just give up your life because of your your own ideas. Your, your because you think it's a good idea. That we have we have a Torah. We have halacha. Your life is not yours to dispose of. The one case you're allowed to do it. One of the only cases is for is for you know, kiddush Hashem to avoid doing averus, to avoid you know, torture. Maybe we said to avoid uh, certain types of horrible fates. But other than that, just because you feel that someone else's life is worth more and you want to save someone else's life at a friendship or some kind of ideal. That is wrong. That's connected to Torah. You can't just do it for Shri Ruslev, Udvarim Batalim. That is Usr. A person has to understand, has to know he's not the boss of himself, he's not in charge of himself. Today we have a kind of a radical, the, the modern humanist uh, liberal perspective is that, is that personal autonomy, bodily autonomy is one of the is the, the kind of the prime directive, the prime value. The Torah says not like that. The Torah says we answer to God. Hashem gives us bodies and resources and things to use, and we have a certain amount of freedom and flexibility with how to use them, but it's not totally ours. We're, we're answerable to Akash Baruch Hu. We can't just throw away our life because we want to, because we, we think it's a good idea. That's not much. A person has to give din v'cheshbon, al-chaya, balkarcha kuchai. You're alive whether you want to or not. It's not your choice. Hashem makes you alive, and you have to preserve that life. And etc. etc. He says that the Umisha Avas Rea, someone who gives up his life out of love of a friend, like like Sidney Carton or like uh, like Damon and Damon in the story, Ainzemidas Gvura, that is not moral heroism, Rak that that's weakness and uh, weakness and moral failing, he says. A person's, a person's doing what he wants. He's not doing what is the right thing according to the, according to the Torah's ethics, according to the will of Hashem. Ein that's not logic and reason conduct. Rak shigayon, craziness, dimyon b'shichron, and uh, fantasy, and you know, acting out of drunkenness. Lo sha'ruach, not, not elevated uh, spiritual behavior. Rak ruach ivim, the corrupt uh, spirituality. Ruach Kadam Azav, Ruach, it's vanity and emptiness, he says, it's completely misguided. 
Zosis lavus eish zara. This is the yes, you're inflamed by uh, by by a fiery desire, but not a desire of correct morality. And eish zara, a foreign fire, the rikshechushim, the your, your emotions, your feelings, but the feelings aren't always a valid guide to correct conduct. Avol bnei don chushim al chushim li kanal mishpat. A person has to subjugate his his feelings and his urges to mishpat to the law mishpat asechel to the law of. Of one's intellect, that the, 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 the seichel has to judge and decide what is a, a correct impulse, what is an incorrect impulse, and the year de bechol yechem achshvos lev veilecha tishukasev atatimshalbo. A person's uh, seichel has to be in firm control of his of, of his urges, of his inclinations, even ones that sound noble like this. It's wrong. It's against Torah, and that's that. Uvachalzos, he says, if you know, you're returning to your original question, you're disappointed that we don't have such inspiring and beautiful stories of friendship. He says, God, I'll find you some stories. He says, we have plenty, we have, we have, we have ample stories, stories of great heroism. We have our own great men, our own moral heroes who did uh, tremendous feats in Mesiras Nefesh um, for, for others. With, within the, guide, the guidelines of halacha. And he gives about a half dozen examples. His first one is, Vayishma Avram kinishba Achiv. Avram heard that his brother, his, his nephew Lot, had been captured by the four kings. Vayarakas Chanichav. He mounted a uh, dashing midnight raid to uh, a nighttime raid to rescue him. He, he threw himself into battle against these four uh, powerful kings, these four victorious kings. He did that in, in order to save his, save his nephew. Again, what happened to the rule that we don't put ourselves in Suffolk Sakana to save something else from Bade Sakana? Good question. He doesn't address that. He doesn't explain why this was, a, why this was a, any more legitimate than the Chassid Shota of the, the earlier people who risked their lives to save others. I always, uh, I always like to mention in this context the, the comments, that, the remarkable comments I found of the Balitosis. Balitosis asks, they point out, Avram seems to react very differently when his wife, his beloved wife, is captured by Paro, and when his nephew, who he didn't get along with that well, apparently, was captured by the four kings. When his wife was captured by Paro, he does nothing. He just hopes that God will resolve the problem. He doesn't do anything. When his nephew is captured by four kings, he raises an army and he uh, starts a war. What's the difference? So he, the Tosis brings two terutsim. If Avram was so brave and so uh, had so much mysterious nefesh, why didn't he start up with Paro? Well, why, why, only the, why only the four kings? So one tarot is, he says, even Avram, brave as he was, as, as valiant as he was, he wasn't going to commit suicide. He, had, he needed an army, he said. At, 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 the, at the time of Paro, he didn't have an army. He was, he was earlier in his life. He didn't have a whole army. He can't fight uh, the entire Egypt with one man. Later, at the, at the, ti- at the time of the story of... Uh, of Lot, that he already had all the people, that he had, he had gotten rich in Egypt, he, had, he said he had, he, had many, he had men with him, he had all kinds of, he had soldiers. So then it was, it was possible, it might have been quixotic, it might have, been, uh, it might have seemed foolhardy, but it was, at least that was within the realm of bravery to, uh, to mount a raid against the four kings. But one man alone couldn't do it. Another shot toasted the Balitosa say is that, and this is really uh, a striking and a shocking thing to say, they say that when Paro seized Sarah, Sarai, Paro had a legitimate legal basis to do so. Avram had tried to smuggle her in, he broke the law, and she was forfeit to the crown. So Paro was acting under the color of law, within, with some kind of legitimate uh, basis for his conduct. 
So Avram said, okay, I, you know, I, I rolled the dice, I tried to smuggle her in, I lost, and I'm not going to do anything now. But when the four kings captured Lot, that was just uh, banditry, that was just kidnapping, that was just outrageous, and therefore there was, there was no justification for that, and therefore Avram mounted a raid. Uh, despite the, besides the fact that that seems like such a remarkable thing to say, even on, a, even on a purely technical legal basis, I never fully understood this, Prisoners of war is a perfectly legitimate halakhic doctrine. Halakha recognizes that when, that to the victor go the spoils, that when, when kings and, and countries fight, the, the victor is entitled to, to seize and plunder the, the loser. That, that's well recognized in halakha. So I'm not sure why the four kings were doing anything wrong, al halakha, but okay. Anyway, Avram was very brave. He risked, his, he risked his life in mounting an offensive against these four kings with just men of his own household. So Avram was a very brave man who was Moser Nefesh for, for, for Lot. Moshe Rabbeinu, Beis, Vayifan ko v'cho v'yar ki enish v'yachas ha-mitzri. Moshe struck a mitzri down. He, Moshe was Jewish. I mean, he was a prince. He did have, I guess, some protection, although it obviously didn't, didn't, didn't get him that far. He became a fugitive, and Paro tried to kill him. He had to flee the country, so, so, so obviously he wasn't, uh, his position wasn't that strong. He struck the mitzri down. He says, this, this, I can't tolerate this. I can't tolerate a... Uh, I can't tolerate a mitzri striking one of my brethren. And he risked his life. He had to flee for years uh, to, to avoid Paro's wrath. The, the, the Farshim point out that it, that it goes even further than this. Moshe flees to Midian. What is the very first thing that he does? Exactly the same thing. He sees the shepherds are oppressing the daughters of Yisro. He says, this is not right. The, the, the strong are oppressing the weak. I will step in and, uh, and defend the weak even though he was still a fugitive from Paros. Some Rishonim say even in Midian he was scared of the Paros' reach. That's why he was a shepherd. He wanted to stay far from the, the beaten path. He wanted to stay out on the countryside. And he still, he, 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 but he couldn't, he couldn't bear to see the strong taking advantage of the weak. And he stepped in and he, and he, and he stood up for the, for the oppressed. Gimel, Tamar, that when Tamar was going to be executed, she could have exposed Yehuda and said, he's a hypocrite, he's the one who got me pregnant and, and, and now he's trying to kill me. She wouldn't do it. She was still discreet, literally as she was close to death. She just she gave Yehuda the chance to gracefully admit his error, but she refused to expose him. The Gemara learned from this, better that a person should be better that a person should throw himself into a fiery furnace rather than embarrass his friend she was, uh, she was himutzei, she was at krovalei, she was at the fire itself. We've discussed this in the past. Is this really the halacha? Is, a person re- is this really Yahari Valyavar? Is a person really supposed to give up his life rather than humiliate somebody else? It's a lively discussion in the postkim. Anyway, Tamra was very brave. Tamra was very brave and very, uh, and very, um, very selfless. Rather than expose and humiliate Yehuda, who was actually somewhat at fault in this whole affair, she was willing to risk her own life and give, give him the chance to uh, extricate himself from the situation gracefully. Dalid, David Vigolias, David and Goliath. David was a, Goliath was a fearsome champion of the Plishtim, a giant of a man, a, a, a veteran warrior. Nobody could stand up to Goliath. David was a shepherd. He wasn't a military man. He was a young man. He had, you know, he, he, he had experience killing animals, but he wasn't a... Uh, he was nothing like the, tra- the giant trained soldier Goliath was. Nevertheless, David, David had, a, had a, was outraged at Goliath's taunting of Klai Yisrael and, uh, and the Plishtim's uh, making a mockery of Klai Yisrael. He said, 
He told Shaul, your servant, I will go. I will go and challenge this plishti. Fifth one. Fifth one's a very interesting one. The, the, the first four examples were all examples of great tzaddikim. Avram Avinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, Tamar, Davin Melech. The fifth one is actually an, an example he brings, curiously enough, from one of the greatest Rishayim in Jewish history. Number hey. This is about Achav. Achav was mortally wounded in a battle against Aram. Instead of going to the hospital, instead of seeking medical attention and uh, disengaging from the battle, Achav knew that if the Jews saw that he was stricken, it would be bad for morale. Achav put the, 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 the success of Klal Yisrael, their ability to prosecute the battle successfully, ahead of his own personal, personal danger. He forced himself to, 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 to grit his teeth, and he forced himself to continue the battle, pretending he was, he was unharmed in order to uh, keep the morale of Pla Yisrael high. Even though he was mortally wounded, he died at the end of, that, uh, at the end of this battle. Nevertheless, with, you know, to, to his last breath, he, he, he forced himself to, be, uh, to, look, uh, to look unharmed and to inspire the Jewish people. He had been injured between a shot had penetrated his armor. He wouldn't lie down. He's, he suffered uh, pain, suffering the entire day. So the, I think this is when he died. So the so the that that the people the Jews shouldn't recognize, shouldn't 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 discern that he was mortally wounded. And then they would be uh, demoralized. They'll run away. Even from Achav. Achav was one of the great Ovdev Adazara. Achav was the murderer. Achav is one of the Malachim who, at least according to some opinions, have no chalik in Olam Haba. Nevertheless, even Achav, we learn things about, uh, we, we can learn about the Jewish character, about bravery, about selflessness, the Mesiras Nefesh. Vav. Number six, he says, there's a story about Shimon ben Shetach once was pursuing a campaign of, of uh, trying to eradicate witchcraft, and he killed various witches. They plotted revenge against him. They hired false witnesses to accuse his, his son of having committed a capital crime, and his son was sentenced to death. He was going to be executed. That was the, the terrible revenge that Shem and Shetach's enemies, the, the relatives of the people he had executed for wit- as witches, they, they, they said, tit for tat, you, you'll see how it feels when, when those who are near and dear to you get executed. The Adim, the witnesses who had perjured themselves, they felt remorse about what they had done before the, before the young man was killed. They said, we're liars, we, we confess, we made the whole thing up. But Al-Pi'alacha, Adim cannot recant. Al-Pi'alacha, once Adim testify... The, and and, and the, once Adam testify, they, they, they do not have the ability to recant, and therefore they were going to execute his son anyway. The, the desperate father would, would try to preserve his son's life, but his, his, the brave son, Naval Haben, Mi'ain, the Ben said, No, that's not the halacha, we're going to do this right. He gave up his life to, to defend the halacha, to defend the judicial process. Again, what was the principle at stake here? I'm not sure. We have to investigate this. We'd have to investigate the story a little more carefully, maybe to preserve the, you know, to, to avoid accusations of corruption and nepotism and uh, and uh, and um, a double standard. 
But anyway, his son was Moser Nefesh for the sake of the, the integrity of the basin system, the integrity of the Torah. He, he allowed himself as an innocent man to be accused, of a, to, to be executed for a crime he didn't do. Again, he gave up his life, the Kadeshim Shemayim, for principle. And again, we don't lack heroes, we don't lack those who are Moser Nefesh for others, for the sake of the Torah, for the sake of Hashem. Last example he brings, Uvdo de Marukva, famous story of Marukva in the Gemara. He, he and his wife, they used to give tzedakah in secret so that the, the recipients wouldn't, wouldn't see them and would feel embarrassed by seeing their, their benefactors. Once they, they had someone who tried to, tried to see who they were, so they ran, they ran and they tried to hide so they, so they wouldn't be spotted. They ran into a furnace, the furnace was still hot. They, they were saved, Hashem saved their lives. But the Marokva, he risked his life, she's talking to Baruch Lakibshan Aish. He was willing to go so far to actually risk his life in a fiery furnace. Again, selflessness, caring for others in order to... Uh, we, we, we have a lot of examples in, in, in Jewish history, better known examples of martyrs, the people who are most nefesh for, for Akash Baruch Hu. Avram was going to give up his son at the Akedah. Daniel uh, was thrown into the lion's den. And Hanan Mishal Bazaria into the into the fiery furnace. I, most of his examples, I think, concern cases of Jews who gave up their lives for other Jews, for Klal Yisrael, or for the, their friends, or relatives, both, and that it's mutter. Okay, so these are his various examples. In order to avoid embarrassing people, like Marukva and Tamar, in order to rescue people, like Avram and Moshe Rabbeinu, in order to uh, defend the honor of Klal Yisrael, or to, or to promote the morale and military success of Klal Yisrael, like Davra Melech and Lahavdil Achav Melech. All these examples, he says, they, they didn't have second thoughts about worried about their own life. They didn't, uh, they didn't spare themselves when they knew that the halacha, that the right thing to do was to risk their lives. In this case, they were motivated not just by feelings, not just by friendship and their personal inclinations. They were motivated by a lofty spirit, a spirit of righteousness. So as long as it's done properly in accordance with the demands of the halacha, with the rules of the halacha, then it's a wonderful thing. And our tradition does not lack examples of people who are most nefesh for others. However, just to throw away your life for your friend, that's something which is not acceptable in halacha. That's something which is wrong. And that's why the story of Damon and Pythias is a Roman or a Greek story and is not, according to Chabal and Imim, a legitimate Torah story. Rashmul Ashkenazi, the legendary the legendary bibliographer and folklorist, recently passed away during COVID. So he, he has, a, he has, a, he has a, a brilliant work called Alpha Beta Tinyesa, uh, that Alpha Beta Kadmasa originally, and Alpha Beta Tinyesa, Alpha Beta Kadmasa, Kamaisa, and then Tinyasa, recollects all kinds of uh, mind-boggling erudition about folklore, about obscure traditions. He has about eight pages on this story, the story of Avim, the, the tales of the two friends. He brings all these sources, of course, and many other ones, many different versions of the story, and so on. But at the end of the day, the story does appear in a, as we said, variations of the story appear in a handful of Jewish sources. Sometimes it's identified as a Roman story, as in the Tzemach Tzedek of Yudari of Medina, and the Chaval ben Imim. Sometimes it's just stated as if it were a Jewish story. Lahalacha, the, 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 the definitive tshuva is Lechavalim ben Imim, who says that it is not correct that a person is not permitted to do what uh, Sidney Carton does, what Damon did for Pythias. Again, in the, in the case of the Greek story, in, in the case of Damon and Pythias, if he actually trusted his friend would return, 
he's allowed to, he, he might be allowed to do that. But to actually give up his life deliberately, if he thought his friend wasn't going to come back, or after his friend did come back, to say, no, kill me instead of him, that's something which the Chabal ben Eimim says you are not allowed to do. It is against the, against the Torah. That, that's his opinion, at least.